But we're in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. And here's what Paul wrote. He said, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Now, what does all that mean? It simply means that Paul said, God has called me to be an apostle to the Gentiles. I have been called by God for a specific a specific ministry, and that is to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Verse 5, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of man, as it has been now, now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers of the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is for your glory. So let me share with you what I wrote about these verses. First of all, I want you to ponder the mysteries of life. How far do you have to go east before you're heading west? It's a mystery, right? If a child refuses to sleep during their nap, are they guilty of resisting a rest? Okay, y'all get it. Get it? Okay. Adults think babies are cute. But do babies think adults are cute? That's a mystery, right? If it is already sour, why is there an expiration date on sour cream? <laughs> These are mysteries. You know, that's just a way to grab attention of people. In this passage, Paul uses the word mystery three times. Now, in the Bible, a mystery is something that is true, but beyond human understanding. Something that is true, but beyond our ability to really understand. It's simply stated in the Bible. Also, a mystery is something that was hidden in the Old Testament, but revealed in the New Testament. Now, in this passage, I want us to see four kinds of mysteries that are embedded in this passage. Now, I like to read, yeah, I read the Bible, read theological books, but I also like to read a good mystery. I read to keep my mind halfway sharp. And I read a lot just to keep my, you know, those synapses in my Bible to, 
you know, to move and, and uh, kind of keep halfway sharp. And uh, so I, I, I like to get, get a hold of a good old mystery. Well, in this passage, the word mystery is found three times. And I want us to see three mysteries that are referred to in this passage. First of all, the mystery of suffering. Ephesians 3.1, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. One mystery to many believers is this. Why does God allow those who believe in him to suffer? Now that's a mystery. Paul was God's most faithful servant. Yet when he wrote this book, the book of Ephesians, he had already been in Roman custody and a Roman prison imprisonment for four years. Now why did God do that? I mean, why, why did God allow Paul to be arrested and put in prison? Why isn't Paul free to continue to preach the gospel and plant churches? Why did God allow Paul to be arrested? Well, sometimes believers suffer because of their own choices. If a believer refuses to repent of a sin long enough, God will eventually allow them to reap what they have sown. Sometimes we suffer because of the stupid things that we do. And if we don't repent of those stupid things, maybe those wrong things, eventually God then will say, okay, I'm going to let you reap what you have sown. Now God's purpose in allowing this kind of suffering, however, is always redemptive. God desires that the unrepentant Christian turn from their sin and turn to him. And so he will allow us to suffer the consequences of our choices in order to spur repentance in our life. The psalmist wrote, one, Psalm 119, verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. In other words, the psalmist said, I was stupid, I went astray from you, and you let me suffer the consequences of my choices. Now, Lord, I've learned my lesson. I'm going to keep your word. But not all suffering is because of sin. Sometimes suffering comes into our lives, and we've done nothing to cause it. And sometimes we suffer, not because we've done something wrong, but because we've done something right. Paul was not suffering as an evildoer. He was suffering because he had been a faithful and obedient servant of Christ. Paul was not suffering because he had done wrong. He was suffering because he had done right. And so the mystery is, why did God allow Paul to suffer? Well, one reason was because Paul's suffering as a Roman prison, prisoner allowed him to be in a position to proclaim the gospel to the highest authorities of the Roman Empire, probably even to Caesar himself, an opportunity Paul would have never had without his chains. I mean, the Apostle Paul could have went to Rome, went to Caesar's palace, knocked on the door, and said, I want to talk to Caesar about Jesus, and he would have been kicked away in a hurry. But because he was a prisoner, incarcerated, going through the Roman justice system, 
He was able to witness for Christ at every level of the Roman Christian uh, Roman uh, system of justice, the Roman prison system. And Paul then referred to himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul came to understand why he was in prison, and you couldn't have gotten him out of prison if you had tried, because he understood the purpose of his suffering. And that was to put him in a position to witness for Jesus Christ and, and to people that he would have never had the opportunity to do so. Sometimes God allows suffering in our life because it gives us the opportunity to witness to others of God's greatness and goodness and grace in a powerful way in which would not have been possible without our suffering. And so sometimes God allows us to suffer so that we can witness to others in a powerful way. When suffering comes, we can always trust. If you're a child of God, when suffering comes, you can trust that God has a plan and he has a purpose for it. Now, we may not know what that plan is. We may not know what that purpose is. But God has a plan and he has a purpose when he allows suffering to come into the life of his people. So what are we to do when we suffer? Simply, we are to cling to God and not run from him. You know, it's, it's these experiences in life that will test your faith. If your faith is real, if your faith is on God as it should be, when suffering comes, you won't run. You'll be faithful to the Lord in spite of suffering. If suffering and troubles and trials makes a person run from God, then you have to question whether their, their faith was real to start with. We may not know why we are suffering, but we can know that God will never leave us and He will never forsake us. He has given us that promise. He will sustain us. He will see us through. And whatever suffering we face in this world is not forever. Paul called our suffering, trials, and troubles and tribulations in this world light, affli of light afflictions compared to the eternal weight of glory that awaits his people. So that's the mystery of suffering. Second of all, in this passage, there's the mystery of the work of the Holy Spirit. In this passage, Paul speaks of the Holy Spirit's work in revealing the gospel, in bringing people to Christ, and in calling him to preach to the Gentiles. Paul speaks of the Holy Spirit, the mystery, the work of the Holy Spirit in revealing the gospel to people, in bringing people to Christ, and he made it personal in the mystery of the work of the Holy Spirit in calling him to preach to the Gentiles. If anybody should have been repulsed by that, it would have been the Apostle Paul, a former Pharisee, who had, was trained to have nothing to do with the Gentiles. Now, he's a preacher to the Gentiles. How does that happen? The work of the Holy Spirit in his life. One of the great mysteries is how the Holy Spirit works in our life. Jesus spoke of the mystery of the Spirit's work in us when he told Nicodemus, Nicodemus that the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, 
but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's work in your life is a mystery. How does He do that? How does that happen? It is the Holy Spirit who convicts us of our sin and our need of Christ. Without that work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you would have never come to Jesus. It was the Holy Spirit of God who made you aware of the fact that you were lost, you were separated from God, and you needed to be saved. It was the Holy Spirit of God who convinced you of the truth and the reality of the gospel and your need of receiving Jesus Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit of God in our life. It is the Holy Spirit of God who opens our minds to the truth of the gospel. There we are. Living our life in abject rejection of the gospel, wanting nothing to do with Jesus. But one day, somehow, some way, we began to hear the gospel afresh and anew. And it made that impression upon us. And we began to understand that the gospel is true and for us. And we need Christ. It is the Holy Spirit of God who draws us to Christ. It is the Holy Spirit of God who grants us repentance and faith. It is the Holy Spirit of God who redeems us and transforms us when we give our life to Christ. It is the Holy Spirit of God who comes to dwell within us when we are saved. One of the greatest truths of the Christian life is that we were saved. The Bible clearly teaches the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell within us. It is the Holy Spirit of God who helps us to grow as believers. We grow as we walk in the Spirit. Yield control of our life to Him every day. We are secured, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We are called, directed, guided, and equipped by the Holy Spirit for the service of Christ. The work of the Holy Spirit of God in your life is a mystery. How did He do that? How did He draw you to Christ? How did He open your mind to the truth of the Gospel? How did He do that? How did he convince you of the truth that you needed Christ? How did he apply what Jesus did at the cross to your life? How does he dwell within you? How does he work in your life to help you to grow as a Christian? That's a mystery. It's a wonderful mystery. Tremendous mystery. That's the mystery of the work of the Holy Spirit. So Paul talks about the mystery of suffering. Why do we suffer? He talks about the mystery of the of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, he talks about the mystery of spiritual warfare. Ephesians 3.10 To the intent now that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Now, when you see that phrase, and that phrase found in the Bible, in the New Testament a couple of times, principalities and powers in the heavenly places, that is always speaking of Angels, good angels and fallen angels. When you hear that phrase, principalities and powers in the heavenly places, you're taking, you're, you're being taken out of this human realm, this earthly realm into a spiritual realm. You're being taken and you're confronted then with good angels and fallen angels. It is a mystery, but it is true. God's people and the church are involved in spiritual warfare. That spiritual warfare also involves the angels of God and Satan and his fallen angels. God is very much aware of mercy is found in church. And I'll tell you this, and it's true, it's absolutely true. 
There is no more important church in the kingdom of God anywhere in the world than Mercedes Baptist Church. No more important. You know, there's some churches, thousands of members, metropolitan areas, what would be deemed as crucial areas in our country. But you see, we don't think like God thinks. And here's why God thinks. There is no more important church in the kingdom of God than Mercedes Baptist Church. Therefore, he's involved in what our churches do. And there are angelic beings, I have no doubt, who are involved in what our church is doing. But also, understand this. There is an enemy that hates us. Satan and his fallen angels. And have no doubt that Satan and his fallen angels will do everything they can to approach into the life of any church fellowship to cause division, disunity, disruption, to somehow, some way, to encroach within that church to do damage to that church, to its witness and to its testimony. Now, Satan and the fallen angels are powerful, but they cannot breach the wall of protection around a church that is built there by love, believers loving one another, and by God's goodness and grace. The only way Satan and his, his angels can penetrate within that protection, that hedge of protection that God puts around the church is if we allow it. And how do we allow it? That's how we allow it. You interpret that, and you interpret that. Going after one another, hating one another, squaring off with one another, not praying for one another. No, as long as we are the church that God would have us to be, Satan and his angels can't get inside the church. Ephesians 6.12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. As we seek to live for the Lord and carry out his mission, we are supported by the angels of God. I have no doubt that angels have been involved in my life and in my ministry and have protected me. And that's true of you too. See, when you go to heaven, you stand before the Lord, the Lord's going to reveal a lot to you that you don't even know about. How angels watched over you and took care of you and protected you and provided for you at critical junctures in your life. And you didn't know one single thing about it. Satan wants to kill us. He's a murderer. Been a liar and a murderer from the beginning. But God protects us. And we're going to see that one day. But that's a mystery. See, that's not in this dimension of, the, of reality. That's in the spiritual dimension. Now, it spills over into this, but we can't see angels. We can't see their work. But there is spiritual warfare constantly going on in the life of the believer and in the life of the church. I know that. I'm very well aware of that. You know, Satan wants to see you fall. He wants to see Brother Chris fall far more than he wants to see you fall. Because if you fall, it happens. It's terrible. It's awful. When a preacher falls, everybody in the world knows it. And then those who are lost can use it as another excuse not to come to Christ. Not that I'm special, any more special than anybody else. 
But the, the impact of a preacher falling, a minister falling, has a higher profile than those who are not. That's why I get up every morning and I try to pray and I ask the Lord, you know, to help me and keep my mind on straight and right, keep me where I'm supposed to be. Every believer in every church is on Satan's hit list. Do you know you're on a hit list? He wants to discourage you. He wants to beat you down. He wants to make you doubt the Lord. He's going to do everything he can to do that in your life. Don't let him do it. Spit in his eye. Say, no, sir. There may be a lot of things about my God I don't understand. And things I don't understand what he's doing in my life. But I guarantee you right now, I'm going to be faithful my Lord. In a way we can't understand, God uses his angels to help us, support us, equip us, and defend us as we live for him. That's the mere mystery of spiritual warfare. Suffering, the work of the Holy Spirit, spiritual warfare, here's the final mystery, and that's the mystery of salvation. <laughs> the mystery of salvation. That's presented in this passage. Everything about salvation is a mystery. It's a mystery how God could love sinners like us. Isn't that a mystery? It is a mystery how Jesus, the Son of God, came into this world through the birth and birth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, and how then when we trusted in Jesus, that salvation he has provided is applied to our life. That's a mystery. How does that happen? How did somebody who died 2,000 years ago, how did that death have any effect on my life today? But it does. That's a mystery. It's true. And it's mysterious. Your life today and your eternal destiny was changed by somebody who died 2,000 years ago in a land 2,000 miles from here or more. That's Jesus. And that's a mystery. And what he did then affects us now. Salvation is a mystery. These things are mysterious but true. In this passage, Paul mentions three more mysterious things about salvation. Number one, here's another mysterious thing about salvation. Everyone is saved the same way. Everyone is saved the same way. There's not one gospel for the Jews and one gospel for the Gentiles. There's not one gospel for Americans and one gospel for the rest of the world. Jews are not saved differently from Gentiles. Rich people are not saved differently from poor people. White people are not saved differently from black people. We are all saved the same way, the only way to be saved, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone is saved the same way. That's a mystery. Now, how does that happen? It's a mystery, but it's true. Second of all, Paul emphasized in this passage, everyone is equal in the kingdom of God. There are no second-class citizens in the church. 
You know, the Jews had always looked down on the Gentiles and they said the Gentiles couldn't be saved. And, you know, God was going to judge all the Gentiles and now all of a sudden in the church, Jews and Gentiles are equal in the eyes before God. There are no second-class citizens in the church. We're all equal. One thing I cannot abide, one thing I really don't like, is when somebody, you meet somebody who thinks they're better than you are. Do y'all like that? I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't care who they are. You know? And I love preachers, but I've been to Southern Baptist Convention meetings, and there's some preachers who can strut sitting down. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the world? Why? Why? What in the world? You know? Everyone is equal in the kingdom of God. I'm no more saved than you are. You're no more saved than I am. We are all equal. Here's the third mystery about salvation. Everyone who comes to Christ can come before God at any time, not in self-confidence, but in Christ-confidence. Ephesians 3, 11, and 12. In Christ Jesus our Lord, we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. That's a mystery. Prayer's a mystery, isn't it? Here I am. On this earth and I can bow my knee and I can bow my head and I can pray and the God of the universe who created everything there is the God of the Bible will stop whatever he's doing and give me his full attention as if he had nothing else to do isn't that a mystery isn't that a wonderful mystery isn't that a marvelous mystery and we have that boldness. We can come before God at any time, not because of ourselves or who we are, but because of Jesus and who he is and what he's done in our life. This is a great passage, you know, the mystery of suffering. You know, I don't know why we suffer, but I know there's a purpose and I know there's a plan. And, you know, I was, when I went to college, at Blue Mountain College in Blue Mountain, Mississippi, we had an assembly one day, and this lady came to, she was, I'm thinking she was a higher up in Mary Kay or something like that. Anyway, she came and she spoke to us in the assembly. She lived in Memphis, Tennessee, not far from our college campus. She came and, and she started and she talked about the Lord. And then about halfway through her message, she said, now I want to tell you something. I have been diagnosed with terminal cancer. She said, I have been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And she said, I want to tell you today, this may sound strange, but I thank God for my cancer. Because without my cancer, I would have never come to Christ. God loved me so much that he allowed me to have cancer to make me realize how lost I was and how I needed him. And without that cancer, I would have died and lost a uh, lost person and gone to hell. That's strange to hear, isn't it? But she was serious. She was serious. You know, suffering is a mystery. So what do you do when you're suffering and you don't know why? You stick with the Lord. You hang on to the Lord. You cling to the Lord. You're faithful to the Lord. You don't turn your back on God. You don't run away from God. You hold on to Him. 
The mystery of the Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit of God. He is my friend. He's my helper. He's my comforter. I grieve Him and I quench Him in my life. And I ask Him to forgive me. But the Holy Spirit of God. His work in my life is such a wonderful mystery. mystery. And it is in your life as well. Spiritual warfare. I know we're at war. We're really at war in America these days. The the spiritual battle lines have been drawn. And I'm telling y'all, every day that goes by, I am more convinced we are in the last days, ladies and gentlemen. We are in the last days. When you see these coalitions coming together, Russia, Iran, India, China, when you see these coalitions coming together, Gog and Magog out of the book of Ezekiel, we are in the last days. When you've got nutcases who can push a button and send nuclear weapons that will do great destruction, not only to a country or to the world, we're living in the last days. See, we've never, this is the first generation that has ever had the capability to essentially wipe out life on the face of the earth. That's never been true before until this generation. Now that's not how the world's going to end. But, you know, the Lord may have to intervene so it doesn't end that way and His purpose and plan will be carried out. There's spiritual warfare going on and the mystery of salvation. He saved the rich like me. Amen.